Thank you, Jasmine. Okay, we're gonna have a little interview session. We're gonna do part two. We did part one this morning at the early service, and we really focused on Ken, although we we're all involved in it together and talked about how the Lord launched you into healing ministry and how, and I don't wanna go through it all again, but the fact that you're a scholar, historian, theologian, a scientist, quasi, what, what was it you were studying at Princeton? Just say it real quick, don't for Solid real. Solid state physics and quantum physics. And then the Lord jumped in and ambushed you, and, and yet you're a man of the spirit. We broke all that story down with John Wimber, and so those of you that were not here that want to hear it, we got to introduce your wives. They came up, and they get, we got to hear about you from them. And that was very nice. They said they're going to edit that out in post. <laughs> so now we're going we're gonna to shift gears because it was all of us kind of aiming at, at Ken. So, Ken, now we get to aim at Eric. And so it's all on the, on the web stream and the archives. That's what we're really doing. It so it's on record for people can watch it over the weeks and months and years ahead because we want them to know you because we believe the Lord brought these six ministries together in the most unusual way. Most of you know the story. I won't go into that again. But we wanted them to know you. Like last week, it was Andy and Francis, and we told a little of their story so they would be more than just ministries with a message, but real people with families with stories that we could connect to. So we got to connect with your story. We've, John Chisholm was helping me. Now it's Dean on this one. But John Chisholm was a vineyard pastor for years, as I was, as Ken was, and we talked about the early days with John Wimber, 1990, late 80s, and that was just fun to go back down memory lane again. So now we're shifting gears, Eric, and we're looking at you, and uh, your story is so interesting. Let, let's just, I mean, you can tell it without us saying anything. I've heard you a number of times on, on YouTube, et cetera. And so, but we got some questions we want to ask you, but let's just launch right in there. Your mother, your father, they're over in Europe. Start there, and you come here, and then we'll just jump in a little bit and talk a little bit, Ken, about your friendship with them. We did that last time, so we don't have to give too many details, but jump in. You guys have been good friends for years, and, and you've got stuff about him we don't know that he might not tell us. Well, we're very good friends. We're, we are very, very close friends until recently. <laughs> So you need to pray about that. Um, and it's a Ken issue, it's not me. So, no, I, okay, so my story is that um, my mom and dad, now I wrote about this in a book called Fish Out of Water. It's a story of my life until around my 25th birthday when I got saved, when the Lord miraculously uh, spoke to me in a dream and I woke up a changed person. Jesus came into my life that way. And I was, um, uh, I was raised, you know, sort of in the church. I was raised in the Greek Orthodox Church. And a lot of people, uh, they're raised in the Catholic Church. And it's a cultural thing. You go, but you never really get what it's about. They're not into the Bible. They're not into personal relationship with Jesus. It, it, it feels ritualistic. But the community is a very warm community. It's really the Greek community. So it was a wonderful experience. But when I got to college, I was lost. I realized I don't know what I believe. I have no clue. Is this true? I had no idea. But, but you went to Yale with an open mind. Yeah, that's the joke. I got, he gets all my jokes. I love it. 
I always say, yeah, if you have to go to like, if you have to go to a place like Yale, I hope you don't. But if you do, just make sure you don't go there with an open mind, because they'll fill it with junk. But uh, and that's uh, putting it nicely. But you mean it. But I mean. Uh, well, but just to get back, so my dad came from Greece in the mid-50s. My mom came from Germany in the mid-50s. She was raised in Germany uh, under Hitler. Uh, her father was killed in the war. I dedicate my Bonhoeffer book to him. So my family is German on my mother's side, and my mother has a German uh, accent. And, you know, I just grew up with parents that are Greek and German. And to this day, by the grace of God, they're with us, and they still have their accents. And... Um, that, that's a really profound thing. I look, looking back on my life, having the experience of being raised by people who suffered tremendously, who knew hunger, who both lost their fathers when they were 10 and really struggled. And when they came to America individually, um, they knew how amazing this country was and what an honor and a privilege it is to get to live in this country where there is freedom and yeah people look at you funny if you have an accent but guess what if you're uh if you're wise you don't let that stop you you say thank you god that i get to live here and you can succeed and raise children to go to college and it's just it, you know my parents brought that to to me without even trying that that I'm, experience i'm gonna interject on this i mean most of you get it but some of you might not get it nazi germany okay his mother is raised in that time in the 40s, incredible devastation and poverty in Germany after the war, incredible poverty and devastation. So she's what, like in her 20s when she comes to America? Well, no, my mom, 25? I mean, well, the funny thing is, think about this, right? Uh, because in, in uh, publicly a lot, I talk about, you know, socialism and Marxism and the evil of that coming to America and us being too ignorant and too spoiled to understand how evil it because is. Because she was in East Germany. But my mother and father raised me to know how truly evil communism is. Because my mother grew up in Nazi Germany when the war was over. Who took over the eastern part of Germany? Stalin and the Soviets. So she grew up under East Germany, Wait, under, Hitler, under communism. Then Stalin. Hitler and then Stalin. My goodness. So at age 17, she hated it so much that at age 17, she escaped from East Germany to the West, and two years later, at age 20, came to the United States. So she's in language school in New York City, and your father. Oh, yeah. And, and the thing right. about Greece, there's a civil war in Greece after World War II, so there's devastation and poverty all over Greece. And, and not only that, but the civil war was with the communists. So both my parents tasted the wickedness of godless, anti-God communism that persecutes you if you believe in God. So they didn't think like, hey, it's a point of view. No, it's like satanic. And so my parents come to this country, Greek and German, they meet in an English class in New York City. I always say an English class, no, not to study Shakespeare and Milton, to learn English, right? And, um, you know, they, got, they, they met in 56, uh, got married in 59, and, you know, they raised me and my brother. And I always say, if you're raised Greek and German, you will be raised Greek. Like, that's the bottom line. It's like rock, paper, scissors, you lose Greek. So I was raised in the Greek church. And Greeks have this thing about they know they're the best ethnicity. And they're not going to apologize for that. I know, like, Koreans and Dutch, you think you're better? You're not. The Greeks are number one. Just ask so, them. So just they raise them, you. Right? Yeah, just ask them, because they'll tell you that they know. So my father, at home, my father and mother... Uh, like, you know, they would get in arguments or, or whatever, and 
my, my, my father would always say, like, when my people, the Greeks, like in the... In, Wait, in, say it in, in his accent. I like it when what, you do that. Oh, I don't know if I can say Eric, this in his accent. Eric, my, he's a, Eric, yeah, my well, I've got other stuff to say in his accent. But he says, when, when, the, when the Greeks, I, this will be t- tough enough in, in, in an American accent. But when the Greek, my father would say to my mother, well, like when the Greeks in, in the fourth century BC, when the Greeks were putting on the greatest tragedy and drama and philosophy, your people, the Germans, were wearing sheepskins and living in caves, okay? So does that settle the argument? And guess what? That's correct. So anyway, it was kind of like that was played out. And I always say the reason my, my book is called Fish Out of Water, and there, there are no copies here, but if you, if you want me to sign a book plate, I will do that later, and you, but you have to buy a copy online. But the point is that the fish out of water is because I always felt like a fish out of water. I felt like when I'm in the Greek community, I'm not Greek enough because all the kids in the Greek community, their parents speak Greek, and they speak Greek at home and whatever. And, and they're 100% Greek. And they're 100% Greek. And I'm half Greek, so I, I never felt quite like I was Greek enough. So I tried really hard. In the flesh, I was able to become 54% Greek. I don't know how I did that. I don't know how I did that. That was like sorcery, because that's not right. But the point is that you never felt Greek enough. But then if you're on the Germans, you don't feel German enough. You feel kind of weird, because you're Greek. But then I was hanging out with the American kids. I never felt truly American, because my father never played baseball with me or, you know, whatever. He, you know, he was like... Like, if you're fed and, not, and you don't, like, die, uh, like, I've done my job you're as a good. father. So shut up, and, and I got work for you in the backyard to do. So, so it was kind of like a totally, I didn't feel American, whatever, so I call it fish out of water. And at the end of the book, which is called Fish Out of Water, when I come to faith, I'm not going to tell this now, but the Lord truly, miraculously, using that fish out of water idea, speaks to me in this dream and it is, trust me, because for time I won't tell you, but um, if you look me up on the internet, I tell the story. But it is, when you just say how amazing God is, the fact that he could weave together parts of my life, which wouldn't make any sense to you unless you know my story, which is why I wrote the book, Fish Out of Water, so you get the whole story. Because the dream is the Lord weaving these things together so insanely that you just go, uncle, that's God. There's just no doubt, and I was born again. It was, it was totally mind-blowing how, how the Lord used these different pieces of my life to create this beautiful dream and just completely blow my mind and change my life. So the, this is the book. It's your story because at the core, you're an evangelist. I mean, you're, you're a skilled writer. You got a bunch of nat, you know, New York bestseller books. So you've made, what, 30 books so far. You've really succeeded in the human sense in that. But at the core, you're an evangelist. And a lot of folks don't know that if they've only ran into you recently. I want to keep it secret. <laughs> I don't want to scare away the non-believers. So, but the fact is, everything I do ultimately has that as its goal. Because come on, if you meet Jesus and you know who he is and he changes your life, you, at your core, that's what you're going to be about. But I don't mean, you know, uh, that, that's, that you only do that on the nose, that I'm always, you know, trying to, trying to give the four spiritual laws to everybody. We have to be subtle, uh, and we have to, at times, there are times, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, sometimes the Holy Spirit says, you see that non-believer over there? Shut up. Don't talk to them about me. Sometimes God does that because he's really concerned with their soul. He's not concerned with you running over and go blah, 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 and then drive them away for 10 years from God. So we have to have discernment. And there are times we have to, sometimes the Lord says, talk to that person. Other times the Lord says, be quiet and be their friend. And so for me, a lot of the writing I do, a lot of the broadcasting and radio and all that stuff, it's, 
I'm thinking of that person who was like I was. If you came at them directly with Jesus, they'd be like, no, thank you. They're gone. You have to bring them along and say, I'm not crazy. Uh, I crack jokes. We have fun. We're not, we're not glassy-eyed cult members who just want to bring you into the cult. We're about life. We're about the joy of God. We're about science. We're about reality. God is the God of all reality. And a lot of people in the culture we live in, they have a completely twisted view of what it means to believe in God. We were talking about this in the previous service, that the, uh, the, the most satanic lie is that to accept God, you have to check your brain at the door. That's a joke. The Lord invented the universe. Science came into being as a result of believers who wanted to explore the universe to glorify the Lord. So all these lies we have, part of what I believe God's calling is on my life is to help people who they don't think the way we do and to kind of bring them along. So in the book, Fish Out of Water, what I'm trying to do, I say to people, it's not a Christian book, it's just a book. Because I want people to see my life and my journey apart from God. I wasn't some violent sinner. I was just, I, w I didn't know the Lord the way we do. And I was trying to figure life out and make mistakes and whatever. And the Lord comes in at the end. So if you give the book to somebody, you don't have to tell them how it ends. You say, this is funny. There's a lot of funny stuff in here. I think you'll like it. Or if you're Greek or whatever, there's a lot of, you know. And at the end, you know. That's when you tell you, you how the Lord revealed himself. At the, the, very at the end, end of the, the book, book, you'll get hit with a two by four with the word Jesus on it. It's like, bang. But by then, hopefully, by reading the book They're up to hooked. that point, you're... You're tracking. You're tracking. So and, that's and, important. And you can go on the internet and see, because you've got a number of, I've seen the, the interviews where you, or whatever where you tell the story for an hour at a time, and I've learned it. It's a compelling story. So he's raised in the Greek community, and you have so many funny things about that. I won't go there. But I just smile. Should, should I tell just one story in my father's accent? Because yes. my father, this is kind of funny. Some of you grew up in immigrant homes. And so your parents, not only do they maybe not get the language or whatever, there's a lot of stuff they don't get, right? Because they're busy putting food on the table, you ungrateful jerk, right? So, you know, while you criticize your parents, like, excuse me, they're, they're feeding you. So you need to shut up and say, thank you, Jesus, for my dad, right? For my mom. So I was, you know, a kid who understood my parents suffered. They suffered, and so I'm so grateful, whatever. But there's some funny stuff that comes out of that immigrant thing. And I remember w w one time we went to, uh, to the park. I was like five years old. And my father, you know, he doesn't know baseball and football, whatever. So he brings a soccer ball, and we're kicking around the park. This is in Queens, New York. And we're, my brother and I are dying of the heat. It's, it's whatever. We're like five and four years old. And suddenly we hear the ice cream drop. And my brother and I lose our minds like, Daddy, Daddy, we want ice cream. We're going to get And my father says, no joke. My father says, no, 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 it's not necessary. I have V8 in the back of the car. <laughs> and he I thought, V8. V8's in the back of the car. Because who doesn't want, on a hot summer day, what five-year-old isn't longing for, for warm, gaggy vegetable juice? <laughs> right? But when he grew up, they, they would have killed to have something to drink. So he's like, no, he's not even thinking about that. Another time we went to McDonald's, and I was like 11 or 12, and my father, this is McDonald's. Some of you will get this. This is McDonald's. My father goes up, my brother and I, we order. And then my father says, he looks up and he goes, eh, eh give me one whooper. <laughs> and so this is, my father would always do like the double-headed freak thing, right? Like where you're like, okay, first of all, we're in McDonald's. They don't have whoppers in McDonald's, Dad. I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe you said, I can't believe you 
but not only that, but... That's if, Burger King. If we were oh. at Burger King, it's not pronounced whooper. So like this constant crazy, crazy, crazy stuff, right? But also makes me love my dad as much as I do. But the third one, I think I was maybe 18 and we're filling out financial aid forms for Yale or something like that, which is like a nightmare. I'd rather go like to the dentist or anything than be at the kitchen table with my father filling out financial aid forms. And in the middle of it, I got so angry. I said what you'd say, like it, this wasn't normal to me, but sometimes you hear dumb stuff on TV and you say like, I don't want to talk about it, you know? Like I wouldn't normally talk about that, but on TV, kids would say, I don't want to talk about it or something like that. So I said, I don't want to talk about it. And my father did something he never does he responded with a cultural cliche that he must have heard in the carpool going to work or something like that. Because he he's out of his depth. He doesn't speak like colloquial, right? So my father meant to say, when I said, I don't want to talk about it, he meant to say, what am I, like a leper? You don't want to talk to me, right? And I thought, but my father never says stuff like that. He must have heard it. And like he decides to, to use this on his 18-year-old son. So I say, I don't want to talk about it. It's like incredible tension. And my father says... In this moment of anger, he says, who do you think I am, a leprechaun? <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You've been a great audience. I'll see you next week. Your so, dad's trying to be culturally relevant. He was trying to be, and, but can you imagine what a I leprechaun. thought at the moment? I'm like, wow. My father has no idea what a leprechaun is. We don't hang out with the Irish. We're Greek. So it was, it was like one of those moments. And so you could tell, my, when I was writing Fish Out of Water... I kept asking my father about, like, did this happen? When did this happen? And my father's like, you're not going to put that in the book, are you? You're not going to put that in the book, are you? And my father's like 94. And I'm like, Dad, what, what is going to happen? You're going to lose your job? Or, like, you're going to lose... Like, what's going to happen? I put this in the book telling you what happened in 1973. So my father... And, and then I realized, Dad, you, you know what? I didn't even plan this, but my father is the hero of my book. He becomes the hero. I love him so much. I can't even, you know... I tell you, and he becomes the hero of my book because you see the sacrifice that people make for their kids. And that's why you need to respect your parents. I don't care who you are, who your parents are, because what they sacrifice, and, and that comes clear to you as you get older, but you don't have to wait till you get older. You can obey the word of God, which says honor your mother and father. And I got to tell you, my father, like, I just, I, I'm so moved because I love him so much. And I want to say this too, this is a kind of point of teaching. A lot of times, those of us who are born-again believers get this idea in our heads that unless somebody is a born-again believer, there can be nothing good in them. And I'm here to tell you, every good thing is of Jesus, whether the people know it or not. So if somebody blesses you or whatever, the love that my mother and father had for me, that was the love of Jesus through them for me. And it blessed me and made me who I am. They didn't need to know it was Jesus. They do now, but they didn't need to know that at the time. I think sometimes we have to understand common grace that every good thing, whether the person knows it or not, uh, even our instinct today to say racism is wrong. Where do you get that from? Does anybody know where that comes from? Nobody, if you ask somebody, they'll be like, well, what do you mean? How do you, uh, <laughs> it comes from the scripture. I mean, in every culture in the history of the world, there's been racism and tribalism, and of course, but how do we in the West know racism is wrong? Because whether you know it or not, we get it from the scripture, and it's part of our story that we're all equally loved by God, equal, and it, it's so clear. And so every good thing comes from the Lord, and we need to know that as, as we walk through life. Dean. So, Eric, uh, 
my wife and I have enjoyed getting to know you and Suzanne. They and, have eight children, just saying. Right. Uh, so they appreciate your exhortation. Are you listening, yes, eight right, children? Right, right. Uh, but I think one of the things people have found so refreshing about you is you just, you just say what you think. You just aren't concerned about saying what you think. But as I'm listening to your story, you know, you guys have been around and you've seen, this is a story movement. The stories out of this movement, part of what we try to do is find the story of God in every person's life and in the big picture. And what's striking me is the continuity of God's story in your life. To be raised by parents that knew what hardship was, that knew what communism was, that knew what the different circumstances that are now in the cultural conversation at the level they are, but you've been prepared. It, your, your, That's the books exactly you've written right. are not divorced from your life. That's exactly right. They're an extension right. of your well, life. Well, because truth is truth, right? You know, right. It's, it's not like you become Christian and you get all the truth. I mean, truth is truth. Math is math. Science is science. Reality is reality. And most Americans, we've, here's the issue. And this is, I've only become this way recently. I, I would prefer to be, everybody likes me and I have no enemies. And by the way, if you missed what Francis preached last night, for the love of the Lord, don't miss it. It was one of the most amazing sermons I've ever heard. And I hope that you will go back. It's last night, Saturday, Saturday night. But honestly, July 10th, July 10th, those that hear it that's on the right. webster archives, but you July do 10th. not miss it. It was so beautiful. But uh, except he said a couple of negative things about me, which are wrong, factually wrong. But um, how did your life prepare you? There's grace for that. But so uh, my life prepared me because my parents, having experienced this, I would hang out with Americans and Americans are so we're so blessed. This is the problem with being blessed, right? We're so blessed. We don't realize we're blessed. We think this is normal. I live in a free country. Uh, I'm not worrying about people coming, raping and killing or whatever. Like we can't we think that's normal. That is not normal around the world. Freedom is so precious. People are dying for freedom. They're not just taking it for granted. They will die for it. And guess what? Guess what? People died so that we could sit here and crack jokes and talk about Jesus without anybody. People died. Well, someone throwing us in jail. So that, so that what's that? So Was that people don't throw us in jail. So, so, so the point is that if scripture says we're blessed to be a blessing, if you are blessed with freedom and with free speech, if you do not use that for God's purposes and use your free speech to say the things people say, you can't say that, you say, shut up, I can say it because we have free speech in America and because the Lord compels me to say this for the sake of those beyond this nation who do not have freedom, who long to have what we have. And if we do not stand strong in our freedoms and let people start telling us what we can say and can't say, if you do that, folks, I gotta tell you, Christians, if you do that, you have become part of the problem. The enemy is using you to harm people beyond this nation. We have a responsibility because the freedoms that we have, the liberties we have, people died so we could have this. We should at least be willing uh, to risk whatever we have to risk because, uh, thank the Lord, we don't have to pick up a gun and die for this today. We might, but the point is that the Lord gave us this, and it's a gift we don't deserve, and if we don't exercise it, and when somebody says, you can't talk about that, you can't talk about, uh, you know, sexuality in that way, you can't, you'd be like, what do you mean I can't talk about it? Why? Is it not true? 
Can I not speak the truth? I'm speaking the truth in love. I'm talking about sexuality, about that, because, because I love those people struggling with that thing, and nobody's telling them the truth, that they don't need to walk in that if they don't want to. Nobody's telling them you can be delivered and healed and blessed and have a family. Nobody's saying that, including many in the church. And I think to myself, the Lord's blessed us to be a blessing, but this does come out of my background growing up because my mom and dad understood the evil that is out there. So I didn't grow up thinking, yeah, this is normal. We've had this for hundreds of years. No. Rights that are not exercised are rights that are forfeit. Where's that from? That's brilliant. That's from me. That's from Ken Fish. <laughs> Hashtag Ken Fish. <laughs> rights that are not exercised are rights, are rights that are, that are forfeit. forfeited. And are forfeit. Okay, I'm gonna go back to you. No, keep going. You wanna say with that? Well, I was just gonna say, so, I mean, Eric's the guy who wrote the Luther book and the uh, and the Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer book, but and the you, Wilberforce. You, well, in that too, he's written a lot of books. But and Donald the Caveman. And I'm about to catch up with him. Uh, but when we first met uh, in New York at that in the first service, we talked about a meeting that was held at New York University where Eric was in attendance. And I said there were four stories, and I told three of them. But the fourth one was. You were sitting at the back, and I knew who you were by reputation, but I didn't know what you looked like. I just never bothered to look you up on the internet, so I, I didn't Shame know. Shame on you. So you were sitting at the back with Suzanne, and uh, I can still see that room, and I said, um, you, sir, back there with, with the owlish glasses, you look like a professor. And I said, you're writing a book that's going to become kind of a reference standard. And so, well, here we are now, and the book is out. But, which, but the Bonhoeffer book, yeah. is that what, which sold a million copies. Right. But, but the other thing is, now I'm bouncing back to the Luther book. There's a quotation from a German theologian named Martin Niemöller that Eric knows it. Um, but strangely, we haven't mentioned it at all this last two weeks. Yeah, we so I'm going to mention it right now. And actually, it would have been perfect in Francis's sermon. So as good as it was, it wasn't perfect. Right. Francis, we hope you're listening. Uh, but here's what Actually, Niemöller Francis said. Actually, Francis and Andy, not that they're preaching at several churches across town this morning. Right. They're different places. But oh, yeah, Fran Lord, I have to go back to bury my father. Everybody's got their excuses, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got this good excuse. So Martin Niemöller was a theologian in the Third Reich. He didn't work for the Third Reich, but he was living in those tame times. And he said this, he said, first they came for the communists and I said nothing because I was not a communist. And then they came for the trade unionists and I said nothing because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews and I said nothing because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. So Eric is talking about in this moment the importance of our First Amendment and our right to say what is true and to stand up for it, not in a belligerent way, but I would say in an unyielding and an unbending way. And I just want to double down on that and say yay and amen. Well, listen, this is where we are in the culture. And there are, the, to me, what is staggering is that there are believers, believers who are actively on the wrong side of this issue. And this is a gigantic issue. It's not a little issue. If, if you are being told you can't say that or be careful how you say that or, or whatever it is, whatever BLM is commanding people to do today or whatever, we, we need to say, wait a second, wait a second. 
you can't call me a racist because I'm a Christian and I already know that that's wrong and why it's wrong and I live that way already. So don't play your head games with me to shame me. But now you're gonna tell me that an organization called BLM, it is a Marxist, anti-God, anti-family organization, totally antithetical to the views of most black Americans, frankly, right? And if you go along with them, you're gonna harm black Americans. Oh, you may be able to virtue signal, but if you wanna know the reality, you're gonna harm black Americans. So if you are silent when people say that that's a great organization, or if you're foolish enough to post something on your website, whatever, we, we are responsible for what is going on in America right now. A lot in the church are they're going with the flow. What do I need to do to not get targeted, to not get canceled? And that is exactly what happened in Nazi Germany is that good Germans and German Christians said, you know what, I don't wanna fight that battle today. I'm just gonna go with the flow. I'm gonna go with the flow, I'm gonna go with the flow. Bonhoeffer tried to warn them that if you, the church, do not stand up against these things, we are going to have a moment very soon where we cannot stand up, and that's exactly what happened, and it leads to the death of millions of Jews and millions of Poles, and to the humiliation of the German nation for eight decades. And it's because the church, like the church in America today, they said, well, this might cost me something. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait till tomorrow. I'm gonna wait till tomorrow. That is where we are, and that's the only reason I'm being so bold is because writing the book on Bonhoeffer made me aware this happens to good people. This is not just Satanists and Nazis. Good people go with the flow. They make little compromises. I'll shut up about this. I won't talk about the vaccine. I won't talk about... We can't do that in America. You, you, talk, you talk about the phrase virtue signal. A lot of people don't want to be canceled and they want a virtue signal. Just comment on that. I mean, I know what you mean, but that's a big point. Well, I guess the, the issue is, and Francis said the opposite of this yesterday. I mean, he, he said half of it and he, he didn't um, go uh, to, the, uh, to the other side of it because the sermon was running very long. It was really inappropriate. But the fact is, but there's grace. But, um, but the fact is that he said... I mean, this was so beautiful. He said, if I say I'm going to stand with Mike Bickle or I'm going to stand with Eric Metaxas, by doing that, I, take, I inherit their enemies. Everybody who hates them, and I mean, it happened to me with Donald Trump. You know, you, you see something and you say, that's a good thing, and people are like, everybody who hates them, now they hate you. But the cool thing is, when you do that, when you stand together, there's such a power. And so, if you let people knock you off one at a time, right? You see somebody says something and boom, they cancel that person. That person gets wiped out. You, this happened to Kirk Cameron five years ago, 10 years ago. He said something about believing in marriage between a man and a woman on Larry King or Piers Morgan, whatever. Everybody came after him. And a lot of Christians just said, we're just gonna step back. We're not gonna get into that trouble. We're gonna avoid this. And I'm thinking if every one of us would stand with each other the way Francis very bravely said last night, do you understand that only if we stand together and withstand these attacks together, if we absorb them together, we can easily absorb these attacks. But if we let it fall on that guy and we don't say anything and on that person and that woman, then 
slowly but surely they knock us down. So with the, the Martin Niemöller quote, which is in my Bonhoeffer book that Ken just quoted, that's the exact story. It's like they stood by and they watched as the Nazis attacked that group. It's like, I'm not part of that group. I'm going to shut up. I don't want to be in trouble. Then they attack that group. I'm not part of that group. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to be in trouble. And eventually they will come for you. So when they attack the first one, when anybody in this country gets attacked in that way, you don't even have to agree with them. When Mike Lindell was attacked for what? For daring to say he thought the election was stolen and he's going to investigate it. This is America. Costing millions of dollars. He spent millions of his own money. And all I can tell you is you don't even have to agree with him. But the fact that in this country people said to him, you can't say that. You shut up. We're going to remove all your products from our stores, Bed Bath & Beyond, Costco. All these stores said we're going to do whatever it takes to be on the right side of things because we don't want people to come after it's us. It's a virtue signal. It's a virtue signal showing that don't burn down that. my building because I'm with you. I'm a good guy, right? That is no different than all the people that hung out the swastika. In the, they said, just leave me alone. I'm okay. I, like, I love Hitler. If you don't have the courage as a Christian, I mean, you should have it as an American, but as a Christian to say when somebody decides to take somebody out, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to spend money for pillows I don't need to support that guy. Because if we do this, every time somebody attacks somebody, those attacks will go away. And you'll use the code Eric. (laughs) Code Eric. (laughs) Because, uh, no, Uh, the BLM, let's go back to that for a moment. I think there's two big, big distinctions. BLM, the leadership of BLM is different than the movement. Meaning millions of people in the movement say, we value the dignity of everyone and we stand for that. That's the movement. But the leaders of the organization are different than the movement. And many people in the movement don't know what the leaders believe. And that's the socialist, Marxist you know, all these things. They've hijacked it. And they're hurting and, the black community well, significantly. Totally. Yeah. But because some don't have the information and they're thinking, hey, they're saying, you know, the black people have value. And anybody with any kind of value with God would say, absolutely, that's a beautiful, necessary statement. But Amen. BLM, that, they're saying way yeah. more than that. Don't be, and so yeah, that's they're, they're cynical. Saying. And there's a great irony too, is that, you know, critical race theory and all this stuff. I had a wonderful conversation with Vody Balcom Jr. Uh, and Charlie Kirk and Owen Strawn recently. And in the conversation, you just realize, like, look, <laughs> ultimately, we don't have time to unpack it, but critical race theory and systematic uh, racism and uh, w- what's the other cliche, uh, you know, white supremacy and all this stuff. It's like, be, fright for Joe, whatever it is. All of these things, folks, you got to understand, the devil is subtle. And he, he doesn't need to come out and say, hey, I hate God, and I hate you, and I hate people of every race. He's not going to say that. He's going to c- come behind some nice idea like Black Lives Matter. Like, do you know anybody who doesn't think Black Lives Matter? If I ever met that person, I might not spit on them, but I'd be tempted to. Do you know anybody you, that's you okay someone who with really racism? They did not I don't matter. know, I don't know that. I don't know anybody them, yeah. like that. But, but this is a thing to guilt trip Guilty, especially guilty evangelicals are like, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm a worm lord. You know, tell me, tell me what, what I did. Folks, uh, we have to have wisdom because this has happened in history before, that people are manipulating us and manipulating the church, twisting things. And so this is a time for the church to stand against 
critical race theory because it's Marxist and destructive. It is anti-God and it is anti-black. Yeah, that's the point, is that it's anti-black. Amen. One of the most fundamental beliefs in Christianity, and this is global, and it applies to everyone, everywhere, at all times. There, I don't think I left anybody out. This is one of those beliefs. All human beings, no matter who they are, are, care, are created in the image of God. And we see in the table of nations that we see, if you read the table of nations in Genesis 10, there are Chinese people and Korean people and black people and white people. And there's all these different races. There's Greeks in there. I, hard to believe, I know. But somehow they even made it in. We're olive people. That's it. You're olive people. But, but, you know, we don't use this language anymore. We don't think theologically anymore. Everything we do is about socio-critical theory, which critical race theory is a branch of it. It creates strife and animosity. Right. And everything we do is about the other thing that's going on is everything is psychological. We have to learn to think theologically. So Latin term, imago dei, the image of God. You have 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 the image of God. Therefore, you're valuable and you're worth celebrating and fighting for. Precisely. And if we can recover that in our churches, I think that'll get us at least halfway down and, the and field. And this confusing rhetoric that has some good language, but the rhetoric is right. really promoting animosity and hatred one towards another. That's right. So we should stand up vociferously and say, black people are in the image of God. And so are white people. And so are yellow people. And so are red people. In fact, if you're a Smurf, you're in the image of God. You could be blue. Actually, they're not human, so that's wrong. Well, okay. Go ahead, Dean. Strike that from the list. I want to read a quote from Bonhoeffer, pair it with another quote, ask you to comment, and then understand all of that within a Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. Um, uh, In in Bonhoeffer, you say, this is a fascinating quote, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. It's a powerful quote. Now I want to put it with a quote from Larry Taunton in a recent article. He said, um, evangelicals in the English-speaking world have confused Christ's command to love others with being civil, as if that were an attribute of God. As a consequence, a superficial, self-righteous, good-for-nothing pietism that prefers tone to truth and style to substance, virtue signaling. Tone to truth, style to substance, okay. Has displaced authentic Christianity in many of the 100,000 churches in America, he labeled that doctrinal malpractice. And he quoted C.S. Lewis wait, saying... Wait, 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 say that again, but just say it like in a sentence or two, because that was a smart, long thing. Tone... To, yeah, so, it, so he, he, he called it uh, tone to, preferring tone to truth and style to substance, which is basically what you're saying... Theological malpractice? Theological malpractice uh, about having a life with God that's courageously and actively committed to his will. And, and how, do we, how do we do that while still displaying all the virtues of Christ? Well, this is, this is uh, it's too complicated to really get into, but the bottom line is what I learned from Bonhoeffer when I wrote the Bonhoeffer book, I summed up in that phrase that, that uh, b- being a Christian uh, is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about passionately obeying and serving God. 
courageously and actively doing God's will. Whatever. So um, the point is that a lot of people confuse Christianity. Non-believers and believers think Christianity is about being good and avoiding sin. That's really not true. I mean, Jesus, it's important to do that. Well, but no, no, but the, what I'm saying is like, the core but if that's your focus, you're missing it. Jesus didn't live his life avoiding sin. He lived his life obeying the Father. And when you obey the Father, guess what happens? You avoid sin. But his goal was not to avoid sin. Jesus wasn't like, my goal is like, I got 33 years and I, I can't sin, I can't sin. That, that was never even his mind. His mind was obey the Father. And so Christians oftentimes, and this is where we become legalistic, pharisaical, pietistic, we become so focused on our own spirituality that we are gazing at our own navels. And what we're really doing in our way is we're trying to climb the Tower of Babel to reach heaven on our own good works. And that is satanic. That is a satanic project. But we kind of get sucked into that. And so imagine the Germans in Germany at the time of Hitler. Imagine, uh, and I don't think Bonhoeffer ever said this, but I say this to kind of sum it up, right? Bonhoeffer is led by God to get involved in the plot to kill Hitler. Now, I'm not going to get into that. But people say, how could a man of God murder? We're not talking murder. We're talking a plot to kill Hitler. David killed Goliath. David didn't murder Goliath. There's a time when, unfortunately, there can be violence or whatever. So the question is, are you a cop with a gun? You're going to do murder or are you going to use that weapon to protect the innocent? If you're in the military, are you, you have those weapons to do murder or to protect the innocent? So let's not be so naive. But the point is that Bonhoeffer was among Germans who said, well, we can't have anything to do with that. We're going to leave that dirty work of the guns and all that stuff. We're going to leave that to the pagans. We Christians, we're going to sit on our hands and we're going to pray, right? And nobody says not to pray, but the point is, Bonhoeffer remember, said... Remember, you're at the house of prayer, remember that? I forgot about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but no, but the point is that only the devil would make it an either or. Yes, good point. I mean, nobody, if God calls you to life of prayer, but the point is a lot of people use that kind of terminology to avoid obeying God, and God's would say to them, you need to, if you see a Jew being uh, persecuted, you shouldn't think twice about running to their defense and being uncivil as you do so. But imagine if you're scared of committing a sin and you say, well, um, Romans 13 says I've got to obey uh, the authorities and, I, and I've got to, I can't lie, so if somebody comes to my door, Gestapo comes to my door and says, are you hiding a Jew in your basement? Instead of doing what the Lord would have you to do, which is to say, no, I'm not. You would say, oh, I, I can't tell that, that fib. Uh, th that'll be marked against me. So I'd rather just say, kill and torture the Jew, and I'm justified before God. So come on in, Gestapo, and kill the Jew, right? Bonhoeffer saw that false piety, and he was disgusted by it. Because he said, so you're doing this to avoid maybe committing a sin. Do you not think God calls you to stand between these violent Nazis and, and the Jews, and it goes on and on. But the point is, that has never left people of faith. That, that lie, that twisted heresy, it sounds so good, doesn't it? I wanna be perfect. I don't wanna ever lie. Well, you can't get around that. If, if the Lord puts you in a position 
where you have to act. He looks on your heart, folks. Did you know that? He looks on your heart. What did you mean by doing what you did? It's not about fussily avoiding sin. I didn't, I, I didn't lie. I told the Gestapo exactly the, the truth. I mean, it gets in a big thing. Bonhoeffer writes about it in his ethics book, but you don't owe the Gestapo that truth. You don't owe that. And so it gets complicated, but the bottom line is we have to live our lives saying God is a God of grace. So even if I make a mistake in trying to zealously obey him, his grace will cover it if I do make a mistake. But if I live my whole life in this kind of pinched fear that I might make a mistake, you know who judges us that way? It's not God. It's the devil. The devil's like, if you make a mistake, you're going to get it. God says, well, I know you're, you're capable of making mistakes. I love you. And I'm here to deliver you from that and here to forgive you from that. And so it really gets to what we're talking about, about the cancel culture and this Marxist idea is that that whole culture, which is Marxist, it's about finding the one thing you did wrong. You did this wrong. You said this wrong. You did this wrong. And you think, that's not God. God knows that I've done a million things wrong. And he knows them better than the devil knows them. And he loves me and will forgive me for everything that I put before him. But the enemy tries to intimidate us into, you better be careful, don't speak up, don't say this, don't say that. That is not God, folks. We have to know the Lord to where we know that living that way, whether it's in Bonhoeffer's day or in our own day, that that's not God. God can't bless that. And we really, the church needs to know the difference today, and many in the church today are, are not getting that. Well, we're out of time. My goal, we're going to have a ministry time now, and I want to have a little time for that. So, Chris, come on up, and Ken, you're going to be, no, we're going to, I'm going to give a few more comments yeah. about some of the, your stuff. I just want them to, Chris, come on up, and Ken, just you two shift gears here. Uh, Eric's written about 30 books, actually, a number of children's books that are quite delightful, and I love this one, Seven Women. You talk about the secret of their greatness. You talk about Rosa Parks. You talk about Corey Tim Boom, Joan of Arc, a number seven women, and you got one, seven men, and then you got another one, seven more men, where you give about 10 pages and get right to the heart of their story, and... All those books, I don't know how many we have here. I don't I go to our bookstore, but you can get them all on Amazon for sure. And you've got maybe about 12 or 15 books that aren't the children's books and, yeah. and many others that are children's yeah. books. And you're going to sign some books in a few minutes here at the end of this service after we're done with the ministry time. But you, uh, I'm thinking of YouTube canceled you. Yeah. His show had 220,000 subscribers that were regular listeners. They can't took all that off. So he's kind of starting over again with just brand new. But I, the reason they did it. On Rumble. He's on Rumble. Let's just say, say that again. He's on Rumble in lieu of Actually, YouTube. Actually, I'll ask folks to, to do me a favor if they're so inclined. Because YouTube wiped us out, and this is satanic cancel culture. Because believe me, what I'm saying on there, you, you know me enough to know that, you know, it's kind of almost funny that they would cancel me, right? But I ask people, please go to my website, just my name, ericmetaxas.com. Please sign up for the newsletter because we will send you all the videos that can't be on YouTube anymore. And I have 
done by the grace of God some unbelievable interviews, many with this dude. And I got to tell you, I want people to have access to that. And you won't have access unless you sign up for my newsletter at ericmetaxas.com. And the other thing... Is that taxes with a E-S or A-S? A-S. Metaxas. It's the Greek. Uh, ericmetaxas.com. But the other thing I want to say is that I have a book coming out in the fall called Is Atheism Dead? And it's all about scientific proof of the existence of God. This is astonishing stuff. I didn't come up with it. I just get to, to tell you about it. Uh, and to share it with non-believers, but it's amazing stuff, and it reminds me why I'm friends with this guy, because if you ever believe that intellect and science and all these things are antithetical with worshiping the God of the scriptures, exactly the opposite is true. And so I put it in this book, Is Atheism Dead? But here's the thing. It's not coming out until October, so I'm asking people to pre-order it. Usually, uh, Amazon or Barnes & Noble is the easiest way to do that, and if you, pre, if you say I'll, I'll, I'll pre-order it from one of those places in the next couple of days, I'll be delighted to sign a book plate for you today. So if you want to wait in line, I will just sign the book plate for you and you can pre-order the book. But the reason I'm mentioning this is that pre-orders are very important to the success of a book. And I want Is Atheism Dead to do well for God's purposes, not for me, for God's purposes. But I'll say another thing, apropos of this conversation, a Christian huge bookstore chain, I won't mention the name, but it rhymes with parable. Um, they decided, because I'm quote-unquote too controversial, they have completely canceled that book from their catalog. And I thought, Christians are doing this. And I want you to know, folks, we're living in a time where you have to choose you have to choose. And so I'm asking you, uh, that's why I'm asking you to pre-order the book, and I'll be delighted to sign Book Place. I'll be here as many hours as necessary. But we need to understand we're living in very strange times. Stand for the Lord. He is now, worth it, and he will back I us up. I didn't understand what a book plate was, so I, I'm a sure book plate. It's a it, little, but I don't want to It's a beautiful means. little uh, piece of uh, you know, thick Stupid. paper with a, with a, with a, a sticky backing. You sign it, you, you peel uh, it I'll off. sign it, so when you get the book, when the book comes out, if you pre-order it, it'll be delivered to you, and you, you can put it in there. I don't have to sign the actual book when you get the you book. You peel it off and do so, You peel it off. Okay. So we have to transition, but I hope you guys both feel that you're a part of our family now. We welcome you as part of our family. And, and we're gonna transition, but we... It's the International House of Prayer. We like praying for our family. Yeah. 20 seconds each. What's the one thing you would like for us to carry with you for you in prayer? You could say two even. <laughs> but then that's 40 seconds. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> one single one, thing. One, one, one thing. Yeah, one me. or two. All right. Um, my number one is that my daughter, Carissa, would be healed. Amen. The second Amen. one. Just, just quick. One, two, three. I, I just think that you know, Ken and I, I'm only here because of Ken, uh, even though I have followed what you all are doing over the decades, but um, both Ken and I want to serve the Lord with our gifts utterly for God's purposes, and you can imagine it's a spiritual battle, and so Ken can be found at Orbis Ministries, O-R-B-I-S Ministries.com, I'm at Eric Metaxas, what? Orbis Ministries.org, O-R-G. Uh, and I'm at ericmetaxas.com, but, 
But I know that we need .com and get your newsletter. Then they get everything. Please, please just sign up. It's obviously free, whatever. But um, in fact, if you do it before midnight tonight, you get a free pack of smokes. That's on the house. We just get that. That's uh, unfiltered. So, but, but in all seriousness, we. I normally wouldn't say this in a church, but because I know the heart of this place. I do ask you to be in prayer for us because I know what the Lord has entrusted us with. And you can imagine the spiritual warfare and the enemy does not want us to succeed. Listen, if, if Ken's kind of ministry can get into the mainstream and pagans can see the power of God, they're not going to care about apologetics. They're just going to say, I had no idea. And I, I say the same thing for a lot of what I'm doing. So just Please be in prayer for us generally that the Lord use us in this season for his purposes. Because, because you took a stand, a some wouldn't grasp that getting 220,000 subscribers canceled is a huge financial hit to you. I mean, that just financially is a giant strike against you. And so we care about that. And I, that's why I want people, I, I love your stuff. But I want, I mean, you got this staff, you got this team, and all of a sudden, boom, they took it off and because you won't back down. And I, so we can I'm grateful that you won't back down. Pray for Carissa's healing. Pray for open doors for the word to go forth swiftly. And then put feet to your prayers and go buy books. Amen. Thank you, guys. Okay, Ken, you're going to stay up here, right? Okay. And yes. Eric, so you're going down to the book thing in a minute or now or whatever. Just yeah, just wait. Let's do a little ministry and then he'll be down there in a few minutes. Yeah. Can I can I share that testimony? Yeah, yeah. Share anything you want. Here, let's come on up here. So this is just to get things started. I don't know how many of you were here in the first service, but uh, Chris wasn't here, so I let a little bit of ministry time. Um, and I gave a word for people who had a problem in their hip. And unbeknownst to me completely, you guys have a guy out back who's in your broadcast trailer. Which is right behind the building. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's running all the, you know, the electronics and the technology that, that makes this go out to the whole world. <coughs> and his name's Luke, which is interesting. Um, anyway, I gave that word, and he's, he came in and talked to one of my team. I didn't talk to him personally, but I think the transmission of the message was clear. Um, he came in and talked to one of my team and said, I didn't really believe in healing. I'm not sure, you know, that I believed in any of this supernatural stuff, but I felt a warmth go through my body, and I've been going to the chiropractor for three years, $40 a week, and he got healed, and that was it. So, yeah. And, and it was actually, no one even laid hands on him. He was out there in the broadcast studio. So it, we also had people come up and have hands laid on them. I prayed for a woman who'd had migraines for 20 years, and she was set free of that. And so there were a number of things that went on during the first service. Why couldn't we have another round of that, right? Another testimony, someone came up to me just right before service, along the lines of having a hip healed. Uh, the first time I was here back in April, the weekend of April 9th, I called out a woman with a hip problem, and I believe I called out her address as well. Is that you? That's you. And you said you were totally healed uh, as well from the hip problem. And so maybe the Lord's just going to do some hip replacements today. 
You know, the scripture tells us that when Jesus would enter into a town, there was often a statement made when he would leave. And I find it interesting the way the wording is, Mike. The Bible said that when people saw the supernatural and what Jesus did, um, the Bible says the people would respond and said, strange things have happened here today. So the more we're like Jesus, the more people are going to say things like that. I just, I think not, doesn't necessarily have to be weird, but just out of the ordinary, extraordinary. Yeah, I, I do. I just want to ask this woman who's, you're in row one, two, three, four, five. Now I lost my count. You're either in row six or seven. You're two, you're one seat in and you've got kind of a cream colored top got your arms crossed and you've got dark hair yeah you just looked at your friend to your left were you here in the first service and you were sitting about there weren't you yeah okay I thought maybe you'd left but because I had something for you so I was watching you in the first service and um I I want to speak diplomatically we're in front of 1800 of our best friends and who knows how many thousands more online but you've had a hard life and uh you've had you've had a number of things particularly early in your life that were very difficult for you that set you back and in a lot of ways you felt like you never really regained your stride and you've coped as best you can and you've you've gone along but you've had this challenge and um you you are coming into a season of divine convergence and the things that have been out of order are about to come into order and you're going to find that <laughs> that those things that you thought couldn't be broken the scripture says can that uh, can you number that which cannot be numbered you are about to find that the pieces are going to come back together and and i believe there are I want to say there's three people from that period of your life in particular where the relationships have never worked and God's about to bring convergence to you and put those back together. Does this make sense to you? Okay. What's your name? Christy. Okay. Someone else said something else. Okay. Christy. All right. Got that. All right. Chris. Praise the Lord. All right. People that have hearing issues, loss or lack of hearing, please stand to your feet. All right. So, Father, I want you to put your hand just kind of on your chest. And, Ken, we're going to pray, and I think that I got something specific as well but so father in the name of Jesus right now every deaf spirit that has tried to deaden the hearing we bind the death of the eardrum the death of hearing the nerves of the ears and we just command hearing to be restored in the name of Jesus Christ, for the glory of God. And we're going to test this in just a second, but I want to, as far as the hearing, loss of hearing goes, 
I had a verse that came to me, uh, and I believe this is for someone with hearing issues. Um, Psalms 127, verses 2 through 4. And that's the verse where the scripture talks about how he gives his beloved sleep. And that his arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. So are children of the youth. So I don't know what 127, 2, 4. 127, 2, 4. We got a, a mic over there. Josh, are you going to be ready for somebody? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's me. That's you? Yeah. What is that about you? I work in sleep medicine and... Uh, the Lord, that's my life first, my kids. We got seven kids, seven arrows. That's your life verse. Yeah. As what? Wow. That's incredible. And, so, and what's the number? 127, two through four. I don't know if it's two through four or two so and four. So life first. Is there anybody else where that number registers to you in a real personal way? I don't know if it's like an address or 127.24 or a, where is that? Over here? Wait the back there. Who's this uh, address for with the person with the hearing? It's not the number for me, it's the verse. I had a dream. Um, uh, you know, don't like, tell us the details. Oh, okay. Just if it's important to you, because let him minister to you. Okay. And what well, we just want to know if it registers to you without hearing. the details, because he'll unpack some more. Okay. Hmm. Cynthia, is Cynthia uh, in here? One, two, seven, two, four. One, and that's Cynthia Rakelis. We'll bring in a mic real quick. Yeah. Okay, I should have. Okay, Cynthia, one twenty-seven two four hearing. Yeah. No, don't wow. don't hand the mic. Just put it up so they can so, answer yes or no or something. Yes. So one two seven two four. Lord, I ask you, and I'm praying this for the brother and sister over here that that's their verse, but as far as this woman's hearing being restored uh, in the right ear. Lord, right? I'm, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. and so some, pardon me? Her name is Cynthia. Cynthia. So Lord, I just ask you to undo what happened 29, 30 years ago. Josh, yeah. Yes. 1992? Yes. Yes. Well, because of a birth in 92, because I lost birth. my hearing began in 93. The Lord many decades later told me it. Should I say this? Sure. That's, okay. That's... That the enemy came against me. I became pregnant, a fifth baby, with this glorious young woman that so many of you love. And this was just a delightful, she was a delightful addition. Many decades later, the Lord told me, I've been saying, why did this happen? Why won't it be healed? Nothing, no movement. And the Lord told me, because the enemy has kicked you, come against you, because at the age of 41, you did not stand and reject this pregnancy and say, if somebody who's 41 and is the principal of a big school, 
not big in numbers, big in years, K-12. Uh, so just one I more sentence. I should have had an abortion, and I didn't do it. That's what and the, the enemy, enemy kicked me. Okay, so Lord, right now I pray for Cynthia, and I pray, Lord, because I feel like there's an attack on the enemy had tried. This is crazy, but the enemy had used someone to plant something on your property as well to bring spiritual warfare increase. And so I sever that now in the name of Jesus and anything that has blocked the hearing in that right ear, I declare hearing to be restored in the name of Jesus. And just as the name Anne or Anna, okay, that's you. There you are right there. Um, so you mean you're related is the point. Yeah, I'm Anna. You're the yeah, daughter? I'm the daughter. I'm the 92 daughter. She's the baby? Yeah, I'm the baby from 92. So Anna, so just as Psalms 127, they're, they're the glory just got on you. It was 127 verses 2 through 4 is children in the hands of a mighty man. Lord, I just pray right now that Amy will be the arrow. Amy or Anna? That's a, I'm Anna and there's a sister Amy. And there's a Another sister one. Amy. Yeah, uh-huh. And you're Anna. <laughs> I don't know if that's a middle name as well or something. Uh, Anne is, is your middle name. Okay, well, that's good. So, Lord, I thank you that you're severing all of the spiritual activity and the negative uh, of witchcraft on the property. And when she returns back to Bristol Lane, Lord, I just declare in the name of Jesus that she's going to have a freedom. She's going to be able to have sleep at night in a new capacity, in a new way. The Lord is restoring the sleep just as 127 verses 2 says that he gives his beloved sleep and his hand is coming upon your children. And right now, would you help me, Ken, lay hands on her right ear and from this 29-year-old condition with her ear, we are speaking life to your ear. And any lie of the enemy that he's whispered into the ear that you've lost hearing, we break that lie and we declare the truth of God and we ask right now that the life of God, we speak life into her ear and command that her hearing be restored right now by the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Lord, we speak life to the ear. We speak life to the ear now and command the hearing to be restored now in Jesus Christ's name. We command every deaf devil that has tried to sever her hearing ability. We take authority and break your power off of her now. We do not do this of our own accord, but Jesus Christ commands you and we stand in his stead and we declare hearing to be restored, life to the ear, life right now in the name of Jesus. And every other person in this room with hearing loss, I command right now for that hearing to be restored. Now put your hands over your ears, those of you that have hearing issues, whether you have had it your whole life or you've lost it, we just command right now in Jesus Christ's name for that hearing to be restored and we rebuke the enemy and his hold because the enemy can't get in the spirit of a believer in the same way he can in the flesh of a believer to bring sickness and so we 
break his authority and we speak life and healing to your ears. Now receive your hearing and it be restored by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Receive it right now in Jesus Christ's name by his stripes you're healed. And hearing is going to begin to be restored and hearing is going to begin to increase and we want to hear about the testimonies of every person whose hearing has increased or been restored in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 So, the hearing to be restored, hearing in the natural and hearing in a spirit. Lord, fine-tune our hearing in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wow. Man, I just felt something release in this room. presence of the living Savior. Jesus Christ is present to heal. He's present to heal. Since we're on ears, let's go to eyes. Um, I don't know. I see it's like a woman working in a vision center or something like that. I don't know if it's like a vision center in a store. You have... Over here, okay. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Wait, I, I, before anybody else, so we can see, just look around the room, just wave. I don't care where you room. are, let us know. Okay, let's lock into this one, but just wave. So, Lord, right now, you see the need of her heart and you hear the cry of her heart and her prayer. You work in a vision center, is that correct? Obviously, I see you have glasses that don't take revelation uh, to, to be able to tell, unless I needed glasses, that, that uh, you could have your vision restored. But the Lord has heard the cry of your heart and I see a younger generation by which you have prayed for and a, I see a young man and a young woman that is directly uh, connected uh, and affected by your life for which you've been praying for. And that there is a supernatural touch upon them. And I really believe that they're going to have an encounter, a Saul of Tarsus-like encounter with the Lord that's going to bring them into their destiny, change their identity. The Lord wants you to know He's heard the prayer of, the, of your heart for these children, for these kids, and your faithfulness has touched the heart of God, and you are on His heart and His mind this morning, and the salvation of the Lord is coming to your household and to your generations because he's heard the cry of your heart for those specific people. So I believe and I stand in agreement with you right now that they're going to know the Lord, know him in the fullness, and they're not going to miss the purposes of God upon their life in Jesus' name.
there's a woman in here um, who an apostolic ministry of some sort that you're going to head up whereas I believe in Colorado right over here come up here would you ma'am I want to lay my hands on you so ma'am I want you to know that there have been people who have been in your life that did not believe in the vision for which God has instilled in you and I want to pray a blessing over you because I believe you're going to be a groundbreaker where the Lord is sending you and for what he's calling you to do. You're going to be a difference maker and you are going to be a unity. God is going to use you in Colorado uh, to even be a bridge to the, to the races even some of the stuff that's been talked about here today. The Lord's going to use you that way and you're going to be an advocate, I believe, as well for many women. And you're going to be able to speak into their heart and their life and help lead them into their destiny. So I pray for my dear sister right now for a release of a new mantle for which she seeks and has prayed for. Touch Monique right now. Lord, I'm asking for a sovereign impartation release to fulfill these apostolic purposes, that her name, Lord, will go down in history as a woman of God who broke ground, who, who opened doors, who built bridges, who spoke life into lifeless situations. And I ask right now for new provision, new provision, God, to come her way and you to make this way for her where there seems to be no way. And I just put a demand upon your supply as well. And I ask, Lord, as well, while we're praying for it, Lord, that you'll just heal any chemistry in her body that is out of sorts. Lord, just heal her chemistry, even in her back, her neck, and her shoulders, I pray as well. Lord, we just pray she'll have a backbone of steel. Heal her back and touch her. And we just ask right now, Lord, for fresh direction. And each morning she wakes up, I'm asking that you'll speak to her in dreams the night before to give her clarity to do, to know what to do the next day to fulfill your purposes and I bless you my sister and don't ever believe those naysayers don't ever believe those critics God has ordained and called you and if you'll walk in integrity and you'll walk in holiness God will supply your needs and he will be at your right hand as you stay at his amen let's stretch our hands forward and pray for her right now in Jesus mighty name Monique, how does this all relate? You want to share? Uh, yes. Uh, well, first, I'd just like to honor my pastor, Mike Bickle. Uh, God brought me here seven years ago to learn the Harper Bull model. I've been a part of this ministry. I'm a greeter for either first or second service. I've been a part of this ministry in various ways. But the Lord uh, gave me 39 and a half acres of land that I purchased back in 2007 in Lake George, Colorado. And he brought me here to learn the harp and bull model. Wow. Uh, since I've been here, I've gotten my master's of arts in Bible and theology from Calvary University up the road. 
During the shutdown, the Lord had me to apply to Oral Roberts University, where I've been accepted to pursue my doctorate of ministry. And so it's just an honor. I just love you, Mike. I love you. I've, I've never really spoken to you personally, and I know you don't know my story, but you know my story now so by the power of God. why have you been ignoring me for seven years? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and what does bridge builders, what does apostolic, do those terms mean anything? What, what, he said bridge, bridge builder, apostolic. apostolic. Do any of those terms he was saying to you? Uh, I know, but someone okay, has. Had prophesied that I, there was an apostolic call on my life. It'll make sense to you very soon. As you go, as you, that's where the Lord will bring instruction to you because the fullness of what God is going to do in Colorado, I don't even think you've even seen it yet. But you'll look back and remember these words and it will inspire you as the clarity comes. In Jesus' name. I, I want to ask you something too. There was this bit about Colorado and, uh, now I can't even quote the verse. But anyway, this verse came to my mind about uh, uh, springs in the desert, streams in the desert, and water springing up out of dry ground. Now, you just mentioned that you have 39 and a half acres. Um, have you had difficulty finding water on that land, or is the well dry? Uh, Spiny Lake is nearby the land. Okay. It's called Spiny Lake. Well, I, I just I felt prompted to say this to you. If you haven't found the water, drill again because you're going to find the water on the land. Okay. Does this make sense? Oh, you haven't drilled yet? No, it's totally virgin land, totally have never been built upon at all. All right. Well, the Lord's going to give you your own water supply right there on that land, so be sure and drill. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. And hug me more than once every seven years, okay? Let's make it twice this time. One more, I feel here, and we're just going to go for the whole thing. Um, Somebody, I believe, that works in masonry, not Freemasonry. I'm talking about (laughs) mason, um, laying brick, that, that kind of masonry. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Is uh, do you do you have your own business? Yeah, yeah. You do. Okay. So I'm seeing the face of my uncle, and I don't know. His name was John David, but they called him like J.D. or something. That's my name. That's your name? Jerry David. Jerry David. Okay. So do they call you J.D.? Yes. Um, Do your... you have family that works with you? Yes. I have uh, two son-in-laws and a brother. Two son-in-laws and a brother. Yes. And uh, see the word praise, like the lion of the tribe of Judah. Praise. Judah is the name of one of my son-in-laws. Yeah. Judah. Okay. So, Lord, I I don't know. I'm seeing somebody with an old back injury, and 
I don't know if that's you or one of your workers, but I, I see like an old back injury that is just an irritating thing. Um, and it, it's like there's a reoccurring thing, like especially sometimes uh, at the end of the day, but even in the morning, uh, I see severe pain and agitation. Is that you? It is. All right, that's you from an old injury. Lift up your hands. How many believes the Lord can touch my brother? So Father, right now, I ask in the name of Jesus for you to be the doctor that heals, the surgeon. Touch, Lord, down into his hip, even his L5. I ask for that disc to be repaired. Right now, the vertebrae to come into alignment. In the name of Jesus, we claim healing for JD. And we ask, Lord, for your glory that you would sovereignly minister and move upon him and show yourself to be strong for him and heal him in Jesus' name. Heal his back. No more reoccurring old injury of that back. And I ask you, Lord, to just correct everything that's out of place and bring healing to him right now in Jesus' mighty name. God, just bless his business while he's at it. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for his sincerity. I thank you, Lord, for his openness. And Lord, he opens up his heart today to you in a new way. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you will reveal yourself to him in a whole new way. Reveal yourself to him and let him have an encounter with God that rocks him to his core. And even let your, the business that he owns and runs, Lord, even, even the workers and him, let that be a testimony to the power of the Son of God. And I pray that this morning, that the healing in the wings of our Lord and Savior, that the healing of the wings of the Savior. That verse is slipping my mind. Somebody help me out. Malachi 4.2, the healing in his wings. Malachi 4.2. Yes. So Lord, I just pray for you to rise upon my brother and bring healing to him right now in his back in the name of Jesus. And Lord, just as one thing comes to an end, a new day, a new dawn will begin as well for him in some capacity, something new, a new day, a new start, a new dawn. And Lord, just as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, this is a new day for my brother. And I ask you to bless his business, save his family. And while you're at it, we believe in you to have healed his back as well and his knees too. We just thank you for that. In Jesus name, heal his knees as well is, right now is your knees are your knees hurting let's get the microphone there real quick. yeah my my right knee's been uh trashed for years your right knee's been trashed for years that's yeah, what you yeah. said so lord just heal that knee right now in jesus mighty name in jesus mighty name he he gave you the malachi 4 3 and asked for the versal I think you might study that passage because the fact that you called it and you were quoting it word, nearly word for word, there's, I, I'm, I'm guessing there's more there for you. 
that will relate to you. So Malachi 4.2, just to get it in your brain. Thank you, Lord. The, the name of the business is Sunrise Masonry. Ethan won me, won me to say it. S-O-N. So sunrise, because that's what Malachi 4 says. Healing will, will, will rise with healing in your wings like the sunrise. So that's exactly right. Thank you, Lord. Well, let's just stand before the Lord and say thank you for two weekends in July. Lord, we thank you for touching us. We thank you for stirring us. We thank you for helping us. We thank you for carrying us. God, we thank you for these remarkable families and ministries that came to join us. We thank you for the family that's here, those that joined us on the internet. And Lord, just I just pray the Malachi 4-2 over all of us. That, Lord, you would arise in our midst with healing in your wings. You would shine like a new day, even upon all of us. We're going to take that passage for our own life. We ask you to bless now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm going to go ahead and release you. Go get your children right now if they're over there because the children's workers are waiting for you, <laughs> I'm sure. And Eric's books, yeah. Do you want to uh, sign, get a sign, or you want to get that? book panel that you put in your new book when you buy it. <laughs>